Yes, welcome back. Happy New Year, everyone. Since the New Year, it's the same resort. It's still the Lars Resort. A podcast with me, Lars Evelson, brought to you by Betson. And and we're going we're gonna to keep it simple for our first pod of the year. The last one of last year was a big, very long sort of look ahead to the holiday season with our dear friend Peter Welton. And, and so what better way to start the new year than to get Peter back and, 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 and to have a look at uh, maybe not so much how we did. I mean, our predictions aren't that interesting, but more sort of who did well and who did not well. Who did not well? Who did well? Good Lord, not done this in a while. Who did well and who did not do well? Yes, that's what that sentence is meant to sound like. And who, crucially, is holding the crisis pillow? That's something we want to get to the bottom of. Uh, Yes, let's welcome Peter. Yes, a happy new year to Peter. This is increasingly, I think, becoming a Lars and Peter podcast, and I am very happy about that. I absolutely love recording stuff with you. Uh, we've we've done stuff on various platforms, haven't we? Or when I say various, my podcast and, and your podcast and your radio show. But they, I find it very therapeutic after a sort of a lot of football to sort of sit down in front of a microphone and digest it all in your company, Peter. Thank you so much for, for coming on yet again. My my pleasure. When when do we do our one act play version of this? Oh god. On, on a small uh, off Broadway stage. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's what the world needs, I think. Uh, certainly not the weirdest thing that's been put on off Broadway, I'm sure. Handheld movie, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, the, I think we missed, our, we missed our window because you know they did do some sort of Zoom-based filmmaking during the pandemic. I mean, this is what this should have been. <sighs> uh, but maybe, maybe we can bring that uh, genre back. I don't know, or maybe we can just I can just travel, come visit you, which is something I intended oh, to man. do. In the year of our Lord, 2024. It would be great to meet you in person, finally. That's the craziest no. part about this. We've been doing this now for the better part of over a year, and we've, it, we're have we like we're like the sweetest internet relationship. <laughs> yeah. we got to go and, and watch some MLS together. It, it needs to happen. And, and I think it will happen. But uh, let's, before we go completely in, well, go into the weeds. We started in the weeds. I intend to row it back from the weeds. And let's let's talk about football, because... My God, there has been a lot of it. And what I wanted to do in this episode is just very simply, I'm going to steal a concept from your broadcasting sphere, which is the crisis pillow. I've become (laughs) very fond of the crisis pillow. So let us, let's talk about who's holding the crisis pillow, who's hugging that thing the tightest. And then uh, after we've done that for a bit, let's talk about who actually came out of the holiday season with their honor and dignity and points intact. Uh, So I'll kind of hand the baton over to you at this point. Crisis well, pillow. What do you think? Yeah, the crisis pillow has got a lot of hands gripped onto it, and yeah. some are more tight than others, and some are newer than others. I, I, we kind of, I think we mentioned this a week or so ago uh, when we last talked that Newcastle felt like they were the newest volunteer yeah. or entry into the crisis pillow chase, and I certainly think they have uh, a case there. Yeah, Chelsea of all things feels like maybe they're like, uh, maybe we're not in on this as much. So no. I, I guess Newcastle, wouldn't you say? Yeah, let's let's do Newcastle first. I would concur that Newcastle are the team that, in my mind, come out of this holiday. Like, okay, we can talk about Brentford very briefly because they've lost like a bunch well, of games on the bounce now. But I, I would still, we're not going to spend a ton of time on Brentford, but I just think their underlying numbers are so strong. They got Tony to come back and Buemo's going to come back at some point. I do not think Brentford will get relegated. And so 
them having a slump now is just kind of it'll be fine. I don't really care uh, if they finish mid lower mid table on the lower half of the table instead of tenth. I mean that's not a huge disaster in the life and times of Brentford, and I really don't think they get relegated. So, so that's kind of the Brentford thing out of the way, just in acknowledgement of them having lost a bunch of games. I think the Newcastle thing is a much bigger story. Because I've kind of, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I've gone, well, you know, they got a bunch of injuries. It's fine. It, it happens. People will get fit again. It's going to be okay. I think the Nottingham Forest game was like when the light bulb sort of went on in my head going, no, this is actually bad. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is no longer okay. This is not bad in a way that's fine and it'll be all right. This is bad in a way that might not be okay, uh, is what I'm thinking. Uh, th that's where I'm at with Newcastle. Yeah, I, I the, to qualify for the crisis pillow, what what qualifies as a crisis for Brentford is different than it would for Newcastle because it's all about preseason expectations. And certainly Newcastle falling all the way down to mid-table, I think means that they are a better candidate for this than Brentford. Um, although, let me just quickly say about Brentford, don't forget, they're going to lose three more players to the African Cup of Nations. Mm, yeah, that's a fair point. And they're only four points off the relegation uh, situation. Yeah. And and so I, they may become a, a, a candidate for the crisis pillow very quickly, depending on how the next few weeks go. Uh, for them, because I don't think that their schedule favors them either. I think they've got uh, for a home game against Forest next. So, you know, just so I do think I do think that's fair. I just and perhaps this is me being lazy, and we all know I, I worship at the altar of the underlying numbers. I'm just I just don't buy that a team that has like the sixth best xG difference in the league in January ever ends up getting relegated. Like I mean every maybe everyone breaks their legs and but it's just they're underperforming their xG so dramatically that they just need to continue don't even need to continue playing as well as they have done. They can become quite a lot worse and the results should still turn just on the balance of how their, you know, numbers look. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I don't worry about them getting relegated. One little snippet of info uh, of Brentford I picked up. Brentford, alongside with Everton, are averaging the highest number of crosses into the penalty area per game in the, in the, in the Premier League. Now... That is a good strategy if you've got Ivan Tony there. <laughs> if you do not, if you've got Jan Vissa and uh, Keen Lewis Porter or whoever these dudes are, then that's less effective. But I do think Ivan Tony coming back should uh, should help a lot. Um, well, obviously in, in that regard, it obviously would. So, are you working under the premise that nobody's going to pony up enough cash for them to decide it's worth letting him go despite yeah, their that's, injury that's situation? A, yeah, that, that's a good thing to touch on. Yeah, I just think the numbers that are being talked about now are completely absurd. Like, I mean, I, I, I absolutely love Ivan Tony uh, as a player. I think he's tremendous. He has a great combination of like aerial prowess, but he also moves around well. Uh, he will add so much to any team that uh, that that signs him. But but we're talking about a guy who who obviously hasn't played for months. He turns twenty eight in March, and. As far as I'm aware, I think he's in. He's entering the last 18 months of his contract, right? Mm -hmm. And the speculation is that Brentford are going to ask for like 80 million for him. <laughs> like, no, no one makes that deal. No one, like, no one in their right mind would would pay that kind of money for a player under those circumstances. It just doesn't make any kind of sense. Uh, so, so I don't think that move happens unless Brentford drop the price dramatically. But here's the thing: Brentford know that if they do sell him in January. 
yeah, that suddenly it does. You know, you're not wrong about them being close to the relegation battle. Now I'm confident on their behalf to the point of complacency, but Everton must look at the table and think, "Huh, we're all assuming this will be fine when Ivan comes back. What if Ivan doesn't come back?" So for them to agree to that kind of deal to to maybe put their Premier League status at risk a little bit, they are going to have to ask for a crazy transfer fee. So I do, I just don't see and probably how, replace how... him and spend some of it and get somebody in to replace yeah, him. Yeah, which is which is really difficult to do in general. So it's like I, I I don't see the conditions are there for that deal to happen. To be yeah. perfectly honest, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, but let's settle on Newcastle as okay. the holders of the crisis below. Okay. Well, I don't know. I th- United's probably got a shout still in there. <laughs> I'm sure their finger dirty fingers are all over the pillow still too. But yeah, Newcastle certainly came out of this whole situation uh, not smelling very good, losing three in a row. Uh, obviously, yesterday's loss against Liverpool. Um, that, now, I, let me just be very honest, Lars, about this, and I this is probably uh, falling, shirking my duty as somebody that's talking <laughs> about the games. I went outside to de-Christmas my house oh, yesterday already? after lunch. Yeah, because the weather's getting ready to turn here, and I figured if I didn't do it now, I'm going to end up looking like one of those houses with Christmas stuff in March. And... Um, so I went to do I mean, that. You, I mean, you could have you could have done it in a couple of days, and you definitely wouldn't have been one of those guys. Well, no, the weather's getting ready to get you know really cold and rainy, okay. and and you know. So, um, uh, lo and behold, a lot of time went by when I realized suddenly uh, there was like ten minutes left in the Liverpool uh, Newcastle game, and I mm. essentially missed it. Now, I've watched the highlights, and I've heard about all the drama and stuff, but that sounded like a cracker of a game. And Liverpool, I think, are trying really, really hard to give everybody pause to not just assume City's going to come back into this. But we can get into that more, but more about uh, Newcastle. Well, that'll be when we get to the winners. No, but, but Newcastle, again, this was a game where I just thought... When they have all the problems they have, when they're running on fumes, yeah, going away to Anfield and getting something is tricky. I was much more perturbed, worried, and unsettled by the Nottingham Forest performance. Uh, and just because I have a line of reasoning here, I've been thinking about this a lot. So we, we, we know, I mean, did I talk about this before? Maybe I did. And you have to, it might have been on your pod. Uh, we all know what a good Newcastle United performance under Eddie Howe looks like. We know how they play. You know, it's full of energy. They counterattack quickly with a lot of people. Uh, this is, it's, they they kind of go at 100 miles an hour. And uh, and, and, and it's, it's a thrilling to watch when, when we get the good version of it. Um, but that is a kind of football that I don't think you can play but when you've been working on a, with a skeleton crew for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, because of the injuries... You've not really been able to rotate. You have a bunch of guys who've had to play every three days for a long time and who need a rest, who cannot keep the intensity required uh, for the kind of game that Newcastle want to play. It, it just clearly isn't working. And 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 for a while I went, ah, well, that's hard, that's unfortunate, that's injuries. But the more I think about it, for a team that is aspiring to be amongst the very top teams in the league, for a manager who's aspiring to be seen as like a legitimate manager for a, for an elite European team, because that's where Newcastle are aiming with the funding they have, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to as, as expect them to adapt to that situation a little bit. I don't think it's expect, unreasonable to say, hey, 
maybe two months ago or whenever, when this injury crisis hit, they should have been able to sit down and look at the fixture list and say, hey, we, we, we got to play every three days now for ages and we don't have the guys. Maybe we need to adapt. Maybe we need to keep the ball more. Maybe we need to play at a slightly slower tempo. Maybe we our players cannot do that many sprints per game throughout this entire period and you're going to have to find a slightly different way of doing it. If you look at um, the sort of average possession... Uh, Newcastle lag quite far behind the other sort of top teams in the league. Um, you got the the most possession heavy teams in the league are Manchester City, Brighton, and Arsenal, followed by Liverpool, Spurs, and Chelsea. And and Newcastle are, are seventh in that metric. And actually, if you look at their sort of pass completion ratio, they're down in eighth. So so they're they're, they're positively mid table. Like they they they're as almost as uh, well. They that pass completion ratio is a funny metric because maybe it can be um, it can be a, a feature rather than a bug. But basically, Newcastle misplace almost as many passes as Fulham do in, in, or, over the average ninety minutes. Hmm. And the whole conversation then becomes about like, are you playing with a lot of risk? Yeah, because you want to get forward all the time, so you misplace passes. But the point is. That means you don't have any control over games, and the games become chaotic, they become wild. That takes much more of a physical effort from the players because they have to keep working hard to regain it all the time. And I, I think this failure to adapt to the situation is a criticism you can legitimately level at, at Eddie Howe at this point. Okay, but uh, aren't they also possibly the most fascinating team in this transfer window to keep an eye on? Because of their financial situation, they are the richest club in the world, arguably, and the, yeah. the possibility of, of them doing things. I, I mean, look, they've made a, they've done a lot of really mm. impressive things with a roster that's very, very good, but it isn't a, a, a you know, uh, an all-star team of any sorts. And uh, and and at this point, based on their situation, if I'm a Newcastle fan, I think we've talked about this before. I, I, I'm I'm expecting or anticipating they're doing something to help patch this thing over for the rest of the season. Yes. Well, the challenge then is I suspect they are. Um, I don't know their exact FFP situation, but I'm sure they're pretty close to the ceiling. I mean, in the sense that they can't just go out and spend a hundred million. No. Uh, I I don't think that's something that's there that they're able to do. The temptation, I'm sure, will be to get some guys in on loan from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> because they because the people who own Newcastle obviously own two four clubs in Saudi Arabia, and they've signed some pretty f- famous players. And I sure I'm sure those players wouldn't mind being paid the same money to, to 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 play for Newcastle instead. And you can arrange those loan deals so that Newcastle don't pay anything. I mean, there's no rule against that, I don't think. So you can you can completely get around FFP that way. But I wonder if again, I I suspect they don't want. I, I, yeah, it'd be really interesting if they did it. If they so obviously want to make themselves the bad guys <laughs> who sort of cheat the system and just take, yeah, and, and absolutely exploit that loophole because there's a PR side of it, which I think matters a little bit to their owners as well. Well, I'm not even uh, hitting that Saudi loophole or I'm not even suggesting they go full Todd Bowley. It's just I would think at this point, based on their means, they've got the financial ability to do something. Now, you mentioned something about FFP, which I really want to have a conversation with you about because I'm very curious as to this new my perception is there's this new phenomena of English clubs using financial fair play as a force field. Mm-hmm. Where suddenly now everybody seems really, really concerned about their financial fair play status. And I don't 
My sense is this is a new thing, and I don't know if something's changed that I'm unaware of, or if, in fact, uh, maybe people... Is there a reason why, like, the Arsenal-Ivan-Tony thing? Well, you know, we'd like to get Ivan-Tony, but we don't know what our... Not everybody understands what their financial fair play situation is, and maybe that's being used as an excuse not to go out and get him. Not an excuse, a reason not to go out yeah. and get him. Is that a new thing? Am I wrong about this? No, I think you're right that it's definitely being talked about more now and in the last couple of windows. Maybe, I mean, this is a little bit fanciful, but it is possible that they look at the Everton points deduction and go, God, I mean, the, the Premier League seemed quite serious about enforcing this okay. stuff. Maybe we can't just do whatever we want and hope the accountants figure it out later. I mean, maybe maybe there is a bit of a, of a precautionary sort of effect there. I mean, that's... That's a complete stab in the dark by my my. I I just think this is something the clubs have been have had to consider for a few seasons now, and maybe they're just communicating it more publicly that yeah. it's a concern. I mean that that could be a thing. I swear, I, I, was, I swear, yeah. I swear, I've seen references to this from Chelsea, from United, from Arsenal, uh, from I, I just it it just seems really prevalent in this particular transfer window, and for whatever reason, I just don't feel like I've heard English clubs talk yeah. about this a lot lately, so no, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a very fair observation. I just I don't have a brilliant answer for it, but I just think the clubs you mentioned are clubs that have spent a lot of money in the last few years. I mean, our, our Arsenal have low-key spent quite a bit on transfers and stuff and, and haven't recouped a ton. Uh, so, uh, and obviously, with United, we don't need to talk about their transfer failures anymore. We've done that enough. Obviously, Chelsea went full Todd Bowley. So, I mean, these are these are clubs that will have FFP issues. And, uh, and, and yeah, that is true. I mean, I guess this sort of... I'm now officially, like, putting Newcastle on notice. I'm real worried about what's going on there. Uh, and and it, it, it does remind me a little bit uh, of... <laughs> Eddie Howe used to have these spells when he was in charge of Bournemouth where they would just lose a ton of games and, and, and keep losing. And um, and no one would really talk about it because they were Bournemouth and they also won enough games to not get relegated. Mm -hmm. But we've seen this before from Eddie Howe that he hasn't been able to, to stop this sort of winning run or change his approach or, or, or whatever. And that could be a slightly lazy observation for me. Maybe there were things that were happening at the time, but it is one of those things I always wondered whenever his name came up, like Eddie Howe, he's so great, you know, he's the next England manager. And I was like, well, why does this team keep going through months of just losing 4-0 every game, which is what it felt like Bournemouth did sometimes. And huge test for him now with Sunderland coming up in the cup. I mean, that's not something that maybe, I mean, I, that that's very condescending of me. You are probably aware of the significance of that. I mean, that is an incredibly uh, heated local rivalry. And, and and Sunderland are kind of doing reasonably well in the championship at the moment. And they're going to be well up for that. And it's such a no-win scenario for Newcastle. Because because of the Saudi thing, mm -hmm. if they win 5-0, that's just, yep, that's what should happen. And any other result is like a problem. Uh, any any trouble is... And if they lose, that that that's going to be a real, like issue for the locals up there and then they toast yeah. new man city and then they play aston villa right and mm -hmm. that's what january looks like so this is this is not a good time for, for newcastle they need to get their act together straight away well certainly it's probably the most dramatic of all the teams that had a bad holiday break uh moving on everton i think we could also have and make an argument uh <laughs> didn't uh fare well over the holiday break with losses to tottenham man city and wolves yeah, and I think, it's, yeah, three defeats, obviously, uh, consecutive L's. 
I would say that the Tottenham game could have gone either way. I mean, I say this as a Tottenham fan. You all know that about me. But I, like, I saw I saw this game, and Spurs were quite lucky <laughs> to get out of that one with three points. Everton were not bad in that game. And then you lose to Man City. Nah, it happens. The Wolves game for me, though, that's when I... I you know, and this is, you know, I, I, I'm quick to brag when the betting column does well. I have to hold my hands up. I had Everton to win on this one because I just thought, well, they've had that slightly unfortunate Tottenham game. Uh, they've gotten tonked by City. That happens. But we should now be back to the team Everton were ahead of this difficult period when they were just taking along fine and, and doing well and putting up good results and good numbers. And they were real bad again, and and they were bad in very un-Everton-like ways. You know, there was sort of sloppy stuff at the back, the do- defenders dozing off. They just think, look exhausted. Uh, yeah, no, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I think in terms of yeah, <laughs> in terms of the sort of words to making good points ratio, you're off very far ahead of me so far on this episode of the Last Resort. <laughs> just, I've, I've been talking for ten minutes, and you're like, yeah, no, that's the problem. Yeah, you're probably right. That's probably what it is. It's not they're the sweepy. biggest squad. Yeah, they're, they're drowsy. They need nap time. Well, they've got they've got Crystal Palace in the FA Cup, which they can probably rotate for, and then they've got a ten day break until they play Aston Villa. So maybe that gives them some time to uh, to, to take a few days off and uh, and recharge so i'm sure they'll be fine it just looks a bit scary in the table because the points penalty is what it is but but everton for me are still a team that can just kind of keep doing what they're doing and they'll be completely fine yeah i i'm still working under the premise the appeals process will reward them some of those points back a one or two of them not a lot of them but i think they get some help yeah yeah i agree uh, we mentioned Brentford. They didn't have a good Sheffield. I think we were all kind of anticipating that Burnley, um, you know, not yeah. uh, not good. Now, here's the one that I really wanted to get into. If I had told yeah. you prior to the holiday break that Palace, Forest, Luton, Wolves, Bournemouth would all end up with more points over the holiday break than Arsenal— would yeah. you have believed me? Yeah. One point in three games. Yeah, and I reckon that's what, while we've been talking about the crisis pillow and we haven't mentioned them yet, that's what people are screaming at their <laughs> uh, at their uh, uh, podcast um, device of choice, that Arsenal, yeah, you're right, one point out of those three games and just one win in the last four now in the Premier League, three defeats in the last five. Sorry, what are we doing? Yeah, one, one win in the last five, three defeats in the last five. Uh, not not a good time, and, and and they were just straight up poor against Fulham, uh, against West Ham. They sort of kind of dominated, dominated, and they got they got moiseyed, <laughs> which happens sometimes. You know, they weren't really able to break down the defense, and then they got hit on the other end. That's the sort of the David Moyes uh, one two. It happens sometimes. And again, you play Liverpool at Anfield and you get out of there with a point. That's not a terrible outcome. But that Fulham game, that that was real bad. And Arteta was was pretty upfront about how this was just terrible <laughs> from the team. And they look, um, yeah, they, they suddenly look like they're struggling to create clear, uh, clear chances. Well, I would also say this is another team, just to use a different analogy, that looked like they ate a lot of Christmas fudge. They just yeah. looked tired. And, and I, I, I think there's a fair question you know, Arsenal is one of those. I think there's four or five teams uh, that have used the least number of players this mm. season at 23, and I had this pulled up somewhere in my stats. And, and I think, uh, yeah, that. Let's see how. What is it? Yeah, Wolves, Luton, West Ham, and Arsenal and Liverpool all have the same number of the least number of uh, players used this season at 23. 
And they're also one of the younger teams in this. And they, you know, they just look tired too. No, I think you're 100% right. And I think, I guess there's an interesting discussion to, to, to be had about this. There was a very interesting bit of punditry that was doing the rounds on Twitter where uh, it was Izzy Christensen, wasn't it? The Chelsea player who talked about how the the Arsenal midfielder, I mean, this you can still probably find it uh, on, on, on the Twitter machine if you look for it, um, it talked about how the Arsenal midfield looks kind of weirdly congested because you've got both the fullbacks coming inside, as we know they do, and we got sort of Rice and Edgar and Havertz are all in there. But then as the midfielders are kind of creating overloads, it's all well and good, but it, they kind of go getting each other in each other's way sometimes. And I also wonder, when you're playing with uh, fullbacks who come inside to become sort of midfielders, you need your width to come from your wingers then. I mean, yes, that's that's what Tottenham are doing there. Their wingers are staying wide to create with in that regard. But both Martinelli, Martinelli wants to cut inside and get into box and shoot. Saka is a, is a good boy who'll do what he, what you tell him to do and he, he can go on the outside and put crosses in. But but he also kind of wants to go inside and score and he's probably your best goal threat. So I think you want him to come inside and score. So it all becomes very sort of inward facing, uh, I think. And it's not immediately obvious where your width is, is coming from. And then there is the striker situation, which um, I don't know what you think. I mean, they, 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 it's they were able to score a lot of goals last season with Jesus in the team, but but currently it's not really happening. Well, I I feel like everybody else, Arsenal's gotten figured out a little bit. I think it's a mix mm. of a bunch of different things. Uh, some players not in the form they should probably be in. I think other teams have kind of figured out ways to defend them and, and frustrate them. Mm. You know, double, triple up on Saka. And, and really just kind of uh, force Arsenal to bang their way into goals. And they just haven't, they're just maybe a little too tired and a little worn out and not capable of doing it in the way that they've done it in the past. I do wonder how much of uh, Arteta's insistence on using um, Havertz as a midfielder versus mm-hmm. what they had with Partey and. Um, who did they have? Who's the other? Oh, Shaka. Uh, Shaka. Shaka is the missing piece. How much, how much of those are missing replaced pieces is part of this? I'm not tactically smart enough to understand it. It just feels <laughs> like that those are things that, you know, kind of shout at me as differences. And I'm, I, Yeah. I'm also not an ace tactician, but I do think Shaka is is a big miss in this team. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but yeah, it does feel like no, no, I was and, never a big fan and, of his. And, and there is, I understand why there's big talk of getting a striker, of getting a number nine, of, of getting a focal point. But, you know, they, they scored 88 goals in the league last season with, with Jesus leading the line and, and people mixing it up. 88 goals is usually plenty enough to, to get you to a title. Um, I, I, but the difference is... If if you compare to when Liverpool were you know at their best under Klopp, probably they also had a centre forward who didn't score a ton of goals, but who facilitated the others in a way that Gabriel Jesus can do. But you had peak Sadio Mane and peak Mo Salah on the wings, and currently Saka, God bless him, is is doing very well and trying to carry this team at the age of twenty two. And but, but but Gabriel Martinelli has scored two goals this season. Like that's that's not that's not the same. If if you if you've got a center forward who's there in part to facilitate others, you you need your your sort of inside left winger to score more than two goals in seventeen. Like for this to work out, and 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 if it's not happening, then you need goals from other parts of the team. And Havertz has gotten a couple recently, but you were probably. You probably need him to pitch in with more than four and thirteen. So the goal, the team itself is not producing enough goals. I, I, I wonder if there's if there's a case to be made that they 
could actually do with a winger more than a number nine because because you can I one hundred percent believe you can uh, win the league with Jesus as your center forward, but you you do need to get that goal production from your wide players instead. But then there is the sort of Occam's Razor thing about you know the straightest line is the is the maybe just get a striker <laughs> who scores obviously. goals. I guess yeah. yeah maybe maybe just get a striker who scores goals. Uh, I, it just feels like a flat part of the season for them, and and they're so mm. good and and otherwise. A nice little breakup would probably help them uh, a little bit. Maybe up with a, who do they have in the FA? Do they have the FA Cup still next weekend? Who do they have? I wish I had a quicker answer to that. I'm going to have to look it up. Oh, I, I should have thought. I should have no. Don't apologize. I should have thought of something clever to say. Uh, they've got Liverpool oh, in that's the FA right. Cup. I yes. definitely should have known yes, that. We should have uh, apologies, dear listener. I should have been aware of that. Uh, yeah, no, that that's not good at all either. Because you know, if if. Um, the FA Cup does this kind of matter. The Arsenal are a team who want to win trophies, and uh, and the FA Cup is is one of those. But uh, a bad Christmas period has left them in fourth, only one point ahead of Tottenham, I which know. is inter- interesting given all the weird stuff that's gone on at Spurs this season. Well, all right, from the uh, school of I wish I had placed this bet a few weeks ago. How much money would you have made if I had told you that the two teams to sweep? with three wins out of this break, would have been uh, Wolves and West Ham. Yeah, no, that would... uh, I would have sent for the men in white coats. And, uh, yeah, Wolves in particular remain a real blind spot for me because I don't understand why this is working. But it clearly is working. And, yeah, hats off to Gary O'Neill, who's doing a good job uh, with them. He has... uh, I mean, they have... Yeah, no, they've got some quick guys who can run run with the ball and and Cunha and and Wang Hee-chan up front. And uh, This is a really unfortunate answer, Lars, because in my pre-pod recording notes, I was going to ask you... What is it they're doing good? Why? Why yeah. is how is Gary O'Neill making this work so well? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, well, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim the the Fulham uh, solution and say that I hand on my heart have not seen enough minutes of Wolves to have a great answer to that, except from watching highlights and seeing numbers and stuff. Uh, clearly, they have quick. Uh, attackers who are quite lively on, in counter-attacks and they have a kind of ruggedness at the back with like uh, good old Craig Dawson there and, and you know Max Kilman's a good defender Jose Sa's a good goalkeeper and he's managed to get that team organized and, and, and they made them a team that clearly aren't out producing all the other teams in terms of chances like I, I think I don't have the numbers right here now but I think their XG is still pretty bad but they're clearly putting up points i mean they're, they're mm-hmm. getting the results i mean that's i guess that has to be my homework i have to watch more wolves now but do, do i do i still have to watch more fulham because they seem to be back to just being inconsistent well uh no you don't have to do anything lars you could you could do whatever you want but fulham i only like you to watch fulham because there's a bunch of americans on the team and yeah I like that's your true on on guys that i'm biased about I think I might try to get, um, I think I've said this before, I'm going to try to track down uh, the intrepid Bundesliga reporter and Fulham fan, Archie Rintas, and yes. have him just do a full, just do a Fulham episode to cover my blind spot there. Do I know any Wolves fans? No, I'm not sure. We'll see, we'll see what happens there. Well, can I just suggest that the Wolves thing is very much a Gary O'Neill uh, trait of just getting, you know, more than the sum of their parts kind yeah. of theory. Because no, it, right. didn't he do something? Don't we? Can't we all remember that he pulled something off similar like this with Bournemouth last year? 
Totally, and Bournemouth again uh, outperformed their numbers, so it, it might be something in the in the way he sets up that uh, yeah that that, that that kind of flummoxes the, the XG models. I mean, that's been known to happen in the past. Yeah, look, so, uh, <laughs> I, I love uh, a superstar team with guys that make magic in individual moments, but I really, really just love a roster of regular guys who work well together and play mm-hmm. well together as a team. I, I, In fact, I may favor that in many ways. So I've really enjoyed the, the little that I've watched of Wolves and what I saw him do at Bournemouth last year. I I feel like he's the star of this story. Yeah, no, it seems to be. It uh, seems to be, and he deserves a lot of uh, a lot of credit for that. So does that uh, make uh, David Moyes the star of the West Ham story? I mean, it, it continues <laughs> to be deeply weird, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, they're sixth with a game in hand. They beat, <laughs> look at this. And here, look, look, look. they just beat, they they destroyed Wolves 3 nothing. the team we just spent two or three minutes, you know, fawning yeah, yeah, over. Yeah, 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 yeah. They shut out Man City, and they shut out Arsenal. They scored seven goals in this window and gave up none. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it continues to sort of defy... Uh, defy underlying numbers. The XG balance has them like 14th or something. But you know, there are the, there they are. West Ham. Uh, but but, now, but I, I should mean, also the, throw in that they lost five nothing to Fulham before all yeah, of this. Well, we don't we don't have to throw that in, but you can. <laughs> uh, the the, the um, I mean, <laughs> the the Arsenal performance in particular was like classic sort of David Moyes uh, smash and grab, uh, and and I mean it is they they have. Very, very. They have some very, very good players. I mean, that should be said first and foremost. I know that doesn't mean I'm not giving Moyes any kind of credit. We we'll get to that. But I just think, like, again, as a Tottenham fan, there's so many there's so many guys on this team. I would just love to see play for Tottenham, and that has not always been the case for West Ham. Like, Paqueta is brilliant. Like, Ward Prowse is a really useful uh, player. Uh, Mohamed Kudus is fabulous. You know, Bowen is is really good at what he does. So that that whole sort of front four. If we can call them that, if we call, I mean, Rod Prowse is more or less an, an attacking weapon, isn't he? And then Alvarez in midfield is a great addition as a sort of steadfast defensive midfielder. And then we know that Suchek as a sort of box-to-box guy is a real, like, really good players on this team. And the way David Moyes set them up, I mean, we've spoken about this before, as neutrals, it can be frustrating. Uh, I, I would go so far as to say it's an act of footballing vandalism to have, like, <laughs> Paqueta and Mohamed Kudus, like, play football like this. But... The end result is that you have a team that is clearly fairly robust defensively and is keeping goals out now. I mean, they weren't keeping out a lot of clean sheets earlier, but and, and then providing a platform for those attackers to do stuff when they have chances to, to do that. And they're sixth. I mean, it's it's brilliant. If you think of like West Ham's modern history, this is not where they're usually at. So no. it's, it's great. And can we also throw in the uh, other element of all of this that we have not talked about? I think the dirty secret about West Ham at this point is they probably have the lowest or least injury situation of any club in the Premier League at this point. They've only got four guys on the list right now. Oh, and can I throw out a half-baked thought that has almost no sort of research gone into it? And is, you know, West Ham one of the teams that don't press a whole lot. Like, they don't do the whole high-pressing, let's stand up the pitch, chase everyone around all the time. They're they're one of the sort of, if you look at the the PPDA, which I love, the passes allowed per defensive action in the opposition half, which is basically a way of measuring how effectively you press, right? Because it's how many passes the opponent can string together in their half before you, you tackle them or foul them or do something to interrupt them, right? You understand what this is? Sure. So the the higher your number, that number is, the less 
pressing you effectively do because the more passes the opponents are, are, are putting together in their buildup usually gives you a good view of who's pressing the most effectively. Now, it will not surprise you that the lowest numbers here are Liverpool and Tottenham. <laughs> like Those are the teams who will not let the opponent rest. Um, whereas down the other end, it's Forrest, who's like does very little pressing. and But then West Ham, the, the second highest number here in the league. And, and so mm-hmm. they're, they're clearly one of the teams that more than anyone else in the league sit back and let the opponents have quite a lot of possession uh, just in areas they're comfortable with them having it and they don't try to win it back high up the field. And maybe, just maybe, that is helping them keep players fit. I mean, people who know more about uh, physiotherapy and, and that sort of... This seems like something university researchers should yeah, get Yeah, it sounds like this sounds like there's a, a stats nerd listening to this, yeah. a project for them to go see what the correlation between high, yeah. heavy-pressing teams and injury list like yes. what, what what is that research turnout to look like get to it nerds i mean you get get the nerds on it because i honestly i think that would be really interesting and it's a really good point that that west ham have kind of gotten away with it a little bit injury wise interesting so, uh, yeah. Hmm. yeah maybe Lars is on to something well maybe peter is on to something you're the one who flagged it up well i didn't yeah not not as crystallized as a thought as you put it out there but mm. um So kudos to, no pun intended, to West Ham and to Wolves for being the big winners out of this particular weekend. Now, obviously, City was a big winner, too, because they only had to play the two games. They didn't have a big challenge out of it. City's Uh big win out of this was really, as we talked about the other day, uh, is just sitting back and watching everybody pummel each other to death. Yeah, they just kind of sat back and went, huh, dropping points, I see. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I, I, I increasingly think, like, if you look at the table right now, it looks really tight, you know, all the way down to Tottenham, who have 39 points, and then up to Villa in second with with 42, and then, then Liverpool are up there with, with 45. I, I, I worry that the big sort of city, <laughs> the big city comeback is, is going to start now. Uh, because we know Kevin De Bruyne is coming back. We're, we're also hoping uh, Alan Holland comes back soon. I'm hoping, obviously, Alan Holland comes back soon from his little thing. They've had a little bit of time when they went to, 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 to went on holiday, effectively, to play the Club World Cup. They, you know, they, they've had fewer, slightly, you know, that they did have to play football, of course, but that's lower intensity for sure. And the fixture list now, this is the big thing. And I, I think I should credit Jonathan Wilson. He was the first sort of person I noticed who really started talking about this. Yes. Go, going <laughs> forward, they've got Huddersfield in the FA Cup. Then they've got sort of zombie Newcastle, who are not themselves at the moment. Then they've got Burnley at home. Then they've got Brentford, who are in the funk at the moment. Then they're playing Everton. Then they've got the FC Copenhagen in the Champions League. Then you bump into Chelsea and Bournemouth, so you know, yeah, there's there's some teams there, but for, you have a row of games now that are very very nicely lined up for for City to just get some wins under their belts. Yeah, they really and, don't uh, have a, a game on the schedule, at least in the league, that really puts any kind of question mark over until March when they have to go to Anfield. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that. that I think it's all set up for Liverpool to for Liverpool for Manchester City to do what City uh, tends to do, and they had a good winter break in the winter break. They had a good holiday schedule, in exactly the way you said, because they kind of sat back and watched all the people fall over Arsenal in particular. Well, I think we also have noted. I think everybody's picked up on the fact that at this point last year, City was already further behind Arsenal in the yeah. table and managed to catch up to everybody and pass them for the win. So um, 
it does feel very easy and cliche just to be the uh, to jump on the bandwagon of yes, City's going to do this, but that would take me to Liverpool. Yeah, who, man, I, I was saying this to Andy on our radio show. My co-host of the radio show is a big Liverpool fan, and he was mm. he along with all my Liverpool friends were all so freaked out at the beginning of the season and frustrated mm. about all the players they missed on. Mm. You know, the Bellingham one and uh, Casado and whatever other holding midfielder they wanted. But it seems like Jurgen Klopp has figured this out at a very high level. And based on the highlights of the game I saw yesterday, he's got that motor running really good and playing about as well as anybody could have hoped for if you're a Liverpool fan running into the second half of the season. Well, I I just thought that game was such a great um, summary of what, Liverpool are right now uh, in their development, which is uh, just a brilliant uh, attacking team. I, I, I'd say the best attacking team in the league. I don't think that's controversial. Uh, they, they've got they can hurt you in a different way, in, in loads of different ways. Salah is playing really, really well. That they, they can change things. They whether it's Nunes Diaz who started here, but then you've got Gakpo who's a slightly more of a false nine type of guy in the middle, and Jota who's. Know, less spectacular than Diaz, but maybe a little bit more clinical with, with what he does. Again, Soboslai in midfield is, is tremendous. You forget how good Curtis Jones is sometimes. I, I think he kind of goes under the radar. He looks super exciting to me as a player. And, and there's just so much good stuff going on. But but here's the thing, Newcastle still scored two goals. And this is like zombie Newcastle, who are, again, not in a, in a good moment, as they say. They had five shots all game, but still managed to score twice. And there is that sort of vulnerability there with Liverpool that you never really trust them at the back. And, and and maybe this, I mean, for betting purposes, maybe the thing to do is just every Liverpool game, just put money on Liverpool to win and both teams to score. I think that's, you could just probably do that for the rest of the season. Uh, and if you had done it, yeah, that seems to be the way. It goes quite often with them. Um, and I wonder if that sort of defensive Achilles heel will, will hurt them sufficiently that it'll keep them from winning the title. I mean, that's that's my suspicion, but but right now they're they're certainly looking like you know worthwhile competitors for City because I mean that is assuming that City suddenly win everything, which they might not do, uh, and if they don't, I mean Liverpool are are, are flying like when they're attacking certainly. Beautiful well, stuff. Uh, so they here's just to keep in mind we were talking about schedules and Liverpool's mm. at least at first blush looks like a a bit of a obstacle course. They got to go away to Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. home to Chelsea, and then away to Arsenal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and I, I guess um, this is bad podcasting. I should know the answers to this, but uh, they have people going away now to the Africa Cup of Nations and, they, and to the Asian Cup is the thing. Because Wataru Endo has suddenly become quite important for them. Like, they've been quite good when he's been yeah, playing Yeah, they've needed midfield. him. Now, McAllister yeah, he, came back, and so maybe that's not as big a deal. But then again, I think, uh, having just praised Curtis Jones, I think probably the strongest midfield i would argue is with endo as the holding player and freeing up McAllister to be yeah, a bit more attacking because he's really good going forward as well i'd say if they were playing a champions league final tomorrow i suspect that that's what the lineup would be if everyone was healthy um so and he's you know what they've won pretty much every game when he when he's been in there recently I, uh, something like that yeah. something close enough uh, they drew they drew against arsenal but no he's been he's been very very good and um yeah i i, I like them a lot uh, I, I do Liverpool and they're so fun to watch as well I can, this sort of defensive vulnerabilities that I win John about as a neutral is great because it makes the games more fun 
Well, it, uh, let's see. So that puts uh, Liverpool on top at 45 points, uh, which yeah. uh, has them a full five points ahead of City. But sitting there in second place is Villa. Yeah. And despite the uh, stumble against Manchester United, um, uh, you know, at, at that that kind of result, and the and the game before that, as we talked about, probably was the worst of the two uh, dropped set of points was the the draw at home against Sheffield. My uh, again, my aforementioned show partner Andy Swift brought this up on our radio show on Saturday. Of all, if the club in the Premier League that has collected the most points uh, in a full year outside, you know, for the last twelve months, is Villa. Did you know that? Yeah, that that sounds about right. But uh, I have to say, I, I this for me was a little bit worrying for, for Villa, this holiday schedule. I mean, obviously, uh, dropping points to Sheffield United is, is dreadful, should never happen. Uh, and then the second half collapse against Newcastle United was just weird. Uh, maybe maybe they were tired. I mean, I guess that's the default sort of go-to excuse for everything these days. But, and I they mean, barely they got the win against Burnley the other day. On this the, is on the, the thing. The yeah, the Burnley PK. game. They did. They really wrestled against Burnley. And I thought specifically what I didn't like in this game was just how many times Burnley got in behind that high line of theirs. And and I do wonder if maybe it's because there's a drop in intensity because they're tired and, and the opponents are just getting a little bit more space so they're able to pick those passes a little bit better. But we've had a few games now, yeah, or yeah, two, two games, I guess, but still significant to me i think that the team that's been so good at catching the opponent offside is suddenly getting caught in behind a little bit more when maybe that's teams working them out a bit i mean mm -hmm. that's possible mm -hmm. maybe they're just too tired to play in this exact way but that that's i'm yeah, a little bit worried for uh, for villa in terms of um, in, in terms of whether they can keep it up because that, that's those are danger signs for me i mean they're playing Millsborough in the cup, and then Everton, and then and then Zombie Newcastle, who by the end of January may no longer be Zombie Newcastle. We'll we'll, we'll see about that. But uh, I'm I, I'm not super confident on Villa's behalf after those games. Uh, I apologize to those listening. Uh, somebody in my neighborhood has decided to blow leaves outside my window. So if that's mm. uh, if that's getting picked up on the recording, my apologies. I've heard nothing, but I did hear a dog barking earlier, Peter. There are dogs, too. Yeah, the dogs are probably barking at whoever's blowing leaves. Um, yeah, yeah. Rightly so. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and uh, I guess what's left to discuss at this point, Lars, is the fact that uh, if you were to take Spurs and Chelsea, they both ended up with the same amount of points out of this particular window. Two wins and one loss. They did, and I think Tottenham will be will be very pleased. I think that the defeat to Brighton was obviously a bad game, but uh, three points to Everton, uh, I think uh, three points to a very informed Bournemouth, I think that's obviously a big positive. Both the Everton and Bournemouth games, I think, could have easily gone in a different direction. I mean, it's not it's not good for the heart if you're uh, you know if you're of a nervous disposition watching this. I mean, it's, it's thrilling, obviously, but it's also slightly terrifying because they do concede an absolute bunch of chances uh, at Tottenham, and Everton could have very easily gotten something. And the Bournemouth game ended up looking quite routine when they got up to three 0 But you know, they, the Bournemouth were 
very much in that game. I think they had something like 20, 24 shots across the 90 minutes. I mean, defensively, that was not a good performance by Tottenham. And they were that, that could have easily pivoted in, in the other direction. And I've, I've been harping on about XG too much in this episode, but I have to say, currently Tottenham's XG against so far this season is the third worst in the league. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Only, only, Luton and Shef- only Luton and Sheffield United have conceded a higher XG number so far this season than Tottenham, which seems worrying in terms of, yeah. But we obviously, we all accept that this is a work in progress. It's the first year under Ange and the defensive injuries that have really, really hurt them. So I think being able to... Yeah, put six more points up on the board under the circumstances. I'm, as a fan, very, very happy with that. But I'm I'm aware that there is a significant slice of luck involved. Well, with the FA Cup weekend happening here at the end of this week, and I, I guess probably to put a uh, an explanation point on this on this, wanna let's how about each of us just make a definitive call on who we think the winner and loser of this particular fixture crunch window was in the Premier League and I'll let you who do you think is the biggest loser uh for for me it's Newcastle for me it's Newcastle their sort of failure to reverse that negative trend is uh yeah is is one of is the big big swing against yeah I kind of want to you're tempted to say Arsenal well, yeah, uh, that I mean, I, I could make an argument for about four different teams. I, I would like to make the argument for Everton and even Brentford. Yeah. But uh, just to be different, I'm going to say Arsenal. Yeah, no, that's that makes sense. Uh, can you go first with the winner? Because I'm trying to make up my mind here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for me, the winner is easy. I, it absolutely has to be David Moyes, West Ham United. Mm, I, yeah. I mean, those the, – the, I just it's so it's such a weird story. <laughs> it's such a, and for my friends that are Hammer fans, I'm so happy for them. Um, but to be to and to get back back to back wins over City and Arsenal, uh, and and shut them both out, and score two goals against both of them is a tremendous result. No, no, that's that's absolutely a good answer. Possibly the 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 right answer, but because I've dismissed them so thoroughly this season, I think it's only fair that <laughs> I give the. Fair. I've got to give it to Wolves, man. Beating Chelsea, Brentford, and Everton. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, the, the Wolves are on are on the hunt. The, the opponents are getting mauled, etc. Uh, tremendous Christmas for Wolves. What kind of penance will you and I have to pay if somehow? Uh, Wolves ends up top half of the table after you and I both predicted them to get relegated this season. Yeah, I don't know. I have to think of something creative and horrible. I do want before because we're getting close to the end here. I feel I want to flag up Luton. Two wins over the holidays, and then actually a very creditable uh, performance. I thought uh, against Chelsea. Luton showing some signs of life. I mean, having pivoted neatly from my worst prediction of the season over to something that might not be my worst prediction. I think Luton are alive. They're they're not as doomed as everyone thought they would be. My friend here in Dallas that is from Luton, uh, Dan Crook, uh, has pointed out how frustrated he is. He's very proud of his team, but he li- he likes to point out that the his team has put up good runs against a bunch of the big six teams, including yeah. Chelsea uh, and United and Arsenal, et cetera, et cetera. And they've only managed to get one point out of this, out of those out of those performances. And I it does beg the question: Is this going to end up being a, one of those really sad stories at the end of the season we all feel really bad about because it's 
like we talked about earlier, teams that play really well together, they're the better, you know, better than the sum of their parts or however that saying goes. And they're a fun, likable team to root for. But in the end, they just don't have enough. And that's what I'm really worried about, Lars. I, I worried that you might be right. And I think, honestly, Luton being as competitive as they have been on their budget is one of the stories of the season for me. But the problem is there's not... <laughs> Who who are the teams above them are too function there there's not enough crisis in the teams above them you know Everton are are going to be fine uh, and Brentford like I said I have competent I'm confident to the point of complacency in in Brentford getting it together Forest have gotten two wins out of the after they brought Nuno in Roy's not going to take Crystal Palace down I don't think Fulham are too good to get involved in that mess so I just I don't I don't see who they're finishing above. Is, is the problem even though they're putting up a pretty you know heroic battle to and will take more points i think in the second half of the season than they've done so far if they continue like they like they're doing but yeah. i just don't think it'll be enough i guess i, they, I hope i'm wrong I, but they have a chance but yeah they have an away game against burnley up next uh that was as a huge game for them yeah, absolutely. And and for poor Vincent Company, who's looking so sad now in interviews. I mean, I really feel for the guys. It's tough. They've won so many games last year, and they're just not... It's it's very, very tough. Um, yeah, down yeah, that end hey, of the I, table. Hey, I just realized we uh, you mentioned him, and we didn't mention it in the course of running through this, is Palace and mm. uh, Krusty Old Roy, who got a really big win the other day uh, with some really good performances of young guys that you really, really like. Um, and Olise yeah, as a, and 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 there is a lot of noise about Roy's situation at Palace, and he just doesn't seem to give any f's anymore. This is no, my, this may be my favorite story of the entire season. Is a really I don't have any more f's to spend or give. Yeah, uh, Roy, um, I yeah. love it. It's it's hugely entertaining. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's and, hey, it's there's no there's no complicated thing. If both Eze and Olise are fit, they'll take points because they're they're wonderful, wonderful footballers who who Palace will do well to hang on to next summer. Uh, but uh, yeah, those, that, that was good to see uh, that, in that game. Um, I, lastly, I forgot this. Like there was another thing. I was looking at these crosses. Stat. Uh, do you know Luton? Little Luton with the second least possession in the league. Uh, only Brentford and Everton have put more crosses into the box per game this season than Luton, which I just think is I'm so imp- so impressive. Uh, God bless him. Uh, and that was me pivoting back to Luton again from Crystal Palace, who of Sorry. course uh, deserved some credit for 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 that win. I'm sure Roy. Yeah, no no f's given Roy. I am also massively here for it. I love Roy. I am enjoying just watching him on the sideline and his post game. Just not uh, not wanting to put up with anybody's. Uh, he's he's got he's not going to suffer any fools. And so, no, not he's at not. All. And I, I I like it. He's also, I'm hoping when the spring comes that he keeps wearing aviators or something on the, <laughs> on the sideline as well. <laughs> Maybe takes up smoking. I mean that just go, just go oh completely. yes. I would How love awesome to see it. with that. It just yeah. watching Roy suck on a butt in the sideline yeah. is <laughs> that would be fantastic. I mean, health wise, not ideal. But like when the sun starts coming out and Roy is on the sort of final home stretch of his last season as manager, probably. Uh, just on with shades on and a cigarette and just yeah calling everyone out in the press <laughs> calling it like he sees it i am enjoying it very much and he starts sitting on a bucket like uh bielsa <laughs> you know yeah in, I his, mean, why not? in his track suit that would be great yeah 
Uh, very good. Well, uh, Lars, I hope you had a fantastic holiday and New Year, and everything was uh, good for you over this. Uh, yeah, it was. Time frame. It was. I, I, you too, sir. I hope you've had a lovely time over there. I still think you. You said it gets cold. I still have trouble imagining it. But you know, if it was sufficiently, I hope it was sufficiently Christmassy in in Dallas. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was Christmassy, but I when I woke up this morning, it was exactly one degree Celsius. How about that? Oh. Well, that's that's proper cold. I'll, I'll give you that. That's okay. uh, that's well. You will get the Norwegian approves of your level of cold. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for taking the time yet again. I enjoyed this, Peter. I am sure the listeners will too. Have a lovely week. Yes, what a lovely, uh, balmy, relaxing start to the new year that was. Always lovely to have uh, Peter on. Very, very relaxing presence, I find. Um, maybe I'm slightly less hyper and manic when he's around. I, I, I think that's true. I think he sort of balances me out a little bit. And, and a wise man and, and a lovely man to boot. More Peter this year, definitely. We'll get back to some other stuff as well. I have, I have big plans. Uh, big plans. Uh, also, well, I mean, in terms of some big plans, hard to do a betting segment right now because, of course, uh, no Premier League for a little while. Maybe we will have a look at the Cup games at some point, but, uh, well, I haven't done that yet, have I? But do follow me on Twitter, at Lars Sievertson, uh, for, well, when I write uh, the betting column, sure bets on, I put them up there. Um, you know, I, I, I put a bit of thought into I put a bit of work into the research. Maybe that's, a, even if you don't bet, might be decent sort of a, a weekend preview material, you know, with some, some clever theories and some not-so-clever theories and some stats and some numbers and things. Anyway, I've, I've taken quite enough of your time for one day. Thank you for listening, and Happy New Year again, everyone. I hope you had a great holiday season. Hope this will be a tremendous year for us all. I'm sure it will be. See you soon.